Bookland Radio brings you City Update with Ian Pritchard and Lee Humphreys. Hello listeners. Well, to put it mildly, there's been no shortage of news this week and to reflect on what effects some of this will have on the stock markets, Lee Humphreys will join us by phone from his home in Cobham. Before he calls in, here's a reminder. You can tell your friends to catch up with this programme by podcast from Apple Podcasts or the Brooklyn's Radio webpage. Now, Lee, I think this week you want to concentrate on the wider world picture. Hello, Lee. Uh, hi, Ian. Happy Friday. Thank you. Let's get into it. What's grabbed your attention? Well, it's, uh, it's been a week uh, that's been noticeable by a couple of new stimulus announcements, uh, perhaps the most notable of which uh, was on Wednesday uh, from the President of the European Union, Ursula von der Leyen, uh, who proposed a 750 billion euro stimulus package. Oh, it's not the first uh, stimulus package, is it? No, not the uh, first stimulus uh, package the EU have announced since the beginning of the COVID crisis, but quite possibly uh, the most important in terms of future European integration, uh, uh, as it's proposing for the first time that it'll be partly funded by something called joint debt issuance. Right, joint debt issuance. Now, a smart Brooklyn's radio listener will probably know what that means. Unsurprisingly, I don't. Lee, what is joint debt issuance? Simply put, it's a pooling of risk within the European Union. Um, Money is to be raised by the issuance of bonds in the financial markets. Uh, All the nations in the EU would be liable for these bonds, essentially acting as guarantor. But the weight of these guarantees would lean far more heavily on the richer northern European countries, while the loans or the grants resulting from the sale of these bonds would be distributed in the main to the poorer southern European nations who have been hardest hit by the epidemic. So, Lee, in effect, you're saying it amounts to support from the rich nations to the poorer with the transfer of wealth to the south. Right, that's, a, that's a really good summary, Ian, actually. Um, a, a simpler, albeit sort of light-hearted way to illustrate this might be to envisage uh, an impecunious friend of yours being handed a corporate Amex card, uh, which not only has a, re- a, a really big credit limit built up over years of financial prudence and discipline resulting from whatever being borrowed each month, always being paid back in full and on time at the end of the month. Um, now, see that impecunious friend of Spain or Italy and the owner of the corporate Amex as Germany or Austria, and you're basically there. Effectively, now, Amex have written to Germany saying what a great customer it's been over the years, and as such, uh, they've, uh, they've sent a, uh, a brand-new supplementary credit card on Germany's account to, you know, Greece. Right, I get that. Um, what's the significance to the EU issuing bonds, as you describe it, to further European integration? I mean, governments issue bonds all the time. You talked about the UK issuing gilts, you know, government, UK bonds at the end of last week's show, in fact. I did, yes, uh, I did. But the salient point here is uh, that European Commission, in, in whose name these bonds are raised, isn't really like the UK government in one important sense. It hasn't got any tax-raising powers as much as it would love to. Uh, the European Union receives money from its, uh, or for its upkeep from its 27 member states, as we in the UK well remember from the side of that uh, now infamous red bus back in 2016. The Commission uh, is a government, w- government without any income. Um, that, this now potentially changes that. So how will the EU then persuade its member countries to guarantee the vast sum of 750 billion euros, I think you said it was, on its behalf, but not have much control over how it's spent? 
Well, that, that still remains uh, a little unclear, Ian. And as I say, importantly, these proposals are yet to be signed off. Um, there's been huge arguments in Brussels over the concept of uh, joint debt issuance for several months now, really. Uh, the EU likes the concept of helping out in a fraternal way those nations within its borders that have taken the brunt of the havoc the virus has caused. But it also happens to be that those countries are least able to pay for their own reconstruction. Reconstruction. Up until now, the frugal four, as they're known, of Austria, Holland, Denmark, and Sweden have uh, dug in their hills, if you like, and said, in effect, this is a recipe for disaster. Uh, as they, of course, fear, you know, like the Amex analogy I made just a moment ago, that other nations in receipt of funds would be quick to spend without much regard to the consequences. Emotional thumb screws have also been used by the likes of Italy, who have also made sort of vague threats about even leaving the, year, the euro and the EU of late. And, uh, and given the whole Brexit situation, uh, Ian, recently, it's, it's concentrated some minds in both Berlin and Paris who at heart still believe in ever closer union. So how will the money be divvied up? Well, let's make the assumption, as European stock markets certainly are this week, that uh, there is a compromise in Brussels uh, and this stimulus program is agreed. Um, then the plan is that 750 billion euros raised will be split into two parts. 500 billion euros in grants, which will be distributed in accordance with need. And then uh, the second tranche of 250 billion euros in loans, on very favourable terms. The liabilities, as I mentioned earlier, would be booked in accordance with, uh, how would I put this, um, sort of economic heft, which basically means uh, that Germany and to a lesser extent France are coughing up for this in the spirit of European fraternity. And the European markets have reacted well to this? Yeah, um, uh, the Spanish market, which is going to be one of, if not the biggest beneficiaries of this, um, northern European largesse, uh, has not surprisingly reacted very well and is up around sort of 6% uh, on the week as we stand now. Um, just on the announcement on Wednesday uh, alone, the IBEX, uh, the Spanish equivalent really of the FTSE 100, was up around 2.5%. Uh, it's likely to receive a grant of around 77 billion euros, uh, which is the equivalent of around about 7% of Spanish uh, GDP, but only on the hook, so to speak, for a fraction of that. Now, it must be said that uh, this wasn't the only positive news from Spain this week, so, uh, um, so the news doesn't really account for all the upward move. Uh, Spain is also attempting to open their tourism industry as quickly as it can by dropping uh, quarantine requirements from July the 1st. Um, given that tourism represents around about 12% of gross domestic product GDP, you can see just how important this news was too. I noticed Germany are hoping to do something similar to that of Spain in this respect too. Yeah, um, they also want to drop the quarantine requirements for air travel uh, to and from 31 countries from as soon as the 15th of June. Uh, as you might expect, uh, shares in travel and tourism companies throughout Europe uh, particularly like this headline, uh, with shares in holiday companies such as TUI, which our listener might recall bought part of the beleaguered Thomas Cook chain just last year, rising 52% on Tuesday, just on the prospect alone. So overlong good news for the tourist industry, it seems. And <laughs> not before uh, time either. Um, although many are still left sort of scratching their heads, really, as to when, uh, as to why, when sort of Spain and Germany start easing 
their quarantine requirements. The UK decides to initiate them uh, from the 8th of June. Still, um, IAG, the owner of British Airways, uh, share price uh, rose 25% from this time last week. Shares in EasyJet, which, which, which actually announced job cuts of 30% uh, yesterday are up over 30% on the week and uh, and even overseas cruise companies like uh, Carnival which were witness to some dreadful pictures if you remember at the start of the pandemic Ian, uh, have seen their share price rally over 20% on the unlocking uh, as the unlocking really has gathered uh, more momentum elsewhere. So this buoyant atmosphere in the markets is uh, same all around the world? Well, um, with one notable exception uh, that I can think of, the answer is yes. Japan, for instance, which, uh, like so many others, relaxed its uh, state of emergency this week, springs to mind. Uh, Japan actually, uh, in a very similar move to the EU, announced a further stimulus to the economy of around about 100 trillion yen. That's uh, approximately 760 billion pounds in our money uh, on Tuesday, and that uh, comes on top of 117 trillion yen uh, injection into the economy last month. Great news in respect that uh, it's going to help people get back on their feet. But um, you've got to think that if the stock market can't really rally for a week or two after 1.5 trillion pounds has been pumped into it in the past 40 days, uh, then we're all in a whole heap of trouble. Yeah. And uh, speaking of trouble and staying in Asia, um, the new security laws uh, by the Beijing we'll call it a parliament, uh, relating to the closer governments of Hong Kong. The Americans in particular seem to become agitated by this. Does that influence the markets? Uh, you're absolutely right, Ian. Um, I've been watching that on TV too. Uh, and uh, there has been for sure a significant ratcheting, ratcheting up of tensions between the US and China this week in regard to what's happening in Hong Kong. Hong Kong was uh, actually the exception I was thinking about a moment ago in regard to the continuation of the, gro- the global rally uh, you asked about. The Hang Seng, um, the index based in Hong Kong fell nearly 6% last Friday, a week ago, on the prospect of something called the National Securities Act emanating from Beijing, essentially allowing mainland China to crack down on dissent within the province. Um, that legislation was passed uh, last night uh, on Thursday, but not before the House of Representatives in the U.S. got their retaliation in first and passed legislation condemning China and calling for sanctions against Chinese officials. And has this had any effect on the U.S. Uh, equity markets? Despite all the, uh, the hostilities expressed at the highest levels between the two superpowers, you might expect uh, at least the U.S. market to uh, pause just a little, wouldn't you? But not a bit of it. The S&P 500 closed back above 3,000 on Wednesday, logging its third straight day of gains, while the tech-heavy Nasdaq index is now just from its all-time high. Um, with, an, uh, with an election looming in, in November, Trump absolutely needs this strength in equity markets to continue. He's uh, up against a wall of unemployed Americans that we'll discover later uh, next week account for well over 23% of the workforce. Now, we've talked about this disconnect between the, the real world and the stock markets in the past. So, Trump's re-election plans are still up against it, I guess. How can he not be up against it, Ian? We found out yesterday that 41 million people have now found themselves unemployed in the U.S. over the last 10 weeks. It won't be any comfort 
for those 41 million to know that every other country around the world, however, is in a similar boat. Uh, as we've just heard about, we've seen this week the announcement of two new huge stimuluses on top of the many others that have gone before. In some sense, the overarching weakness of democracies when faced uh, with economic crises is that of, uh, of the incumbents trying to get re-elected. And in order to do so, the necessity is to keep the world's printing presses churning out money. This is a, a nicety, of course, that uh, President Xi of China doesn't really need to concern himself too greatly with. But as we've seen this week, the world's democracies, be they Prime Minister Abe's in Japan, the multitude of countries backstopping the stimulus in Europe, or Trump in the US with the massive support of the Fed, um, the green tsunami of cash really needs to keep coming to ensure election success and quell discontent. As Bill Clinton's campaign succinctly put it back in 1992, it's the economy, stupid. Yep, and that didn't do him any harm, did it? Okay, thank you very much, Lee. See you next week. Cheers, Ian. Look forward to it. Ian Pritchard and Lee Humphries brought you City Update on Brooklyn's Radio.